0: Good afternoon, and welcome to this webinar on the CARES Act. I am Jacqueline Kurlowski, and I'm the director of the Edgar Dyer Institute for Leadership and Public Policy uh, here at Coastal Carolina University, where I also teach courses in grant writing and in public policy. Um, I'm so excited to not only engage with our campus community today, but also with Grand Strand County and Municipal Governments business partners, and nonprofit organizations. So welcome to you all. Um, Today's webinar is really the perfect intersection of all three elements of the Dyer Institute's mission, which is first, to create learning opportunities for our students and our community partners. Second, to unpack complex issues through research and analysis. And third, to provide solutions that have long-lasting and positive impacts for our communities. So I'm excited to be with you today because although the economic and social impact of COVID-19 has been extraordinarily negative, it also is presenting us with opportunities for revitalization, for reimagination, and an opportunity to re-energize our communities. So the goal of this webinar is to help you understand the CARES Act and to empower you with ways to respond to the needs of our community. I am so fortunate today to be collaborating with Jen Gregory. She is the president of Downtown Strategies, where her focus is on revitalization of downtowns, and she consults with communities on economic development and revitalization. Jen joins us today from her home state of Mississippi, so special welcome to Jen and thank you for being here. Um, before I pass it on, just a couple of quick notes. We will be sharing the slide deck and a recording of the webinar, um, so don't worry about scribbling everything down. We'll have digital copies to you in about 24 hours. Um, we'll also be fielding some questions at the end, So. Um, Thank you so much for your attention, and we will look forward to answering those questions um, with due time. So It's my uh, pleasure to introduce Jen Gregory, who will take us through the webinar. So Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, and thank all of you for
1: tuning in today. My name is Jen Gregory, and as Jacqueline said, I'm the president of Downtown Strategies for our company, Retail Strategies. Um, we're so honored today to partner with the Dyer Institute and to really bring information to the communities of south carolina we know that communities and states across our country are really hurting right now Uh, municipalities are seeing uh, their budgets uh, look a lot different than they thought that they would look small businesses are struggling through many downtowns and through many communities across the country and everyday americans like you and i are trying to determine what the future is going to look like for ourselves for our families and for our businesses. It's really important, I think, that before we dig into the federal provisions of the CARES Act, which is the purpose of our webinar today, that we take a little bit of time to really remind ourselves how we got here. You know, it, it's really shocking, I think, if we all take a moment to think that all of this change of life and change of our economy, both in the United States and globally, really only started a couple of months ago so we're going to go through a brief timeline just to remind ourselves of some of the key events uh, globally and here in the united states that led us to where we are today at the end of december um, of 2019 we started hearing about uh, patients in china being treated for pneumonia of an unknown cause and we heard of deaths Um, start to materialize after this and large amounts thereafter. January 20th, uh, we saw other countries across the globe start to report cases of this unknown virus, uh, the novel coronavirus, as it was called at the time, and our first case in the United States was reported. The World Health Organization declared a global health emergency on January 30th, which is important for some of the provisions that we're going to hear about later today. And the disease um, received a new name. This virus that we were hearing so much about was officially named COVID-19 on February 11th. We saw countries across the globe, specifically Italy at the end of February, start implementing major lockdowns of cities and regions throughout their country. And we saw President Trump's administration ask Congress for the first wave of funding uh, to really respond to the coronavirus, which was a, at first a $1.25 billion um, provision of funding directly for the coronavirus response. And we'll go through all the phases of funding that led us to where we are in just a moment. February 29th, the US records its first coronavirus death and announced travel restrictions primarily to China. Um, We started seeing um, more money that was approved for coronavirus testing and research. And on March 13th, which is also an important date to our purposes here today, President Trump declared a national emergency. Later in March, just really about a month ago, the CDC started recommending no gatherings Of 50 or more people in the United States and so we started to see um, really this lifestyle of social distancing start to emerge and for the first time China reported zero local infections on March 19th so we really saw that it took about a three-month period of very severe lockdown isolation and social distancing for China before their numbers really started to go down uh, across the pond, we saw our ally, Britain, and their prime minister, Boris Johnson, start to lock down that country at the end of March. And really unprecedented since the Second World War, we saw the Tokyo Olympics delayed until 2021. Um, India, a country of 1.3 billion people, announced a 31 or rather, excuse me, a 21-day lockdown. Um, again, just unprecedented in terms of numbers and impacts. And the purpose of our gathering today, on March 27th, President Trump signed a $2.2 trillion stimulus package act, the largest bill in US history to provide aid to American businesses, educational institutions, and industries um, that are being really devastated uh, by the lack of foot traffic in the market. Since then, um, the Federal Reserve on April 9th announced a $2.3 million, excuse me, a $2.3 trillion loan package. And we're really not gonna focus much on this today uh, because um, as we'll get into in just a bit, this municipal liquidity facility really is only eligible um, to municipalities that have a very large population greater than 500,000. But um, as that's part of the story, we did want to note that today. And then most recently, last Friday, President Trump signed another $484 billion bill that replenishes coronavirus aid for small businesses, primarily that Paycheck Protection Program, which we're going to get into in detail today. So as we mentioned through that timeline, there have been three phases of congressional relief um, that have got us to where we are today. The first, as we mentioned, was signed on March 6th, and that was the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act, which was primarily geared toward providing funding for vaccine research and development. This was before we started seeing that widespread implementation of social distancing within the United States. And administration was really focused on developing a a preventative measure for this. Um, So that first wave of funding was geared towards that. Uh, Just about 10 days later, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act um, was signed by the president on March 18th, which appropriated $104 billion, really to respond to the great number of Americans that either were not able to work because they were affected by this illness, both either they had it themselves or their family members did, or that they weren't able to work because their businesses were shutting down. And then the third phase of congressional relief, which of course is the purpose of our gathering today, um, was the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, which was signed by the president on March 27th and which appropriated over $2 trillion of aid. Um, to American businesses and industries. Now, we did mention that last Friday, um, there was a substantial amount of money appropriated by Congress to replenish the Paycheck Protection Program. That is not really being considered a fourth phase of funding, but rather just a replenishment of the third phase. So we're gonna talk later in the presentation about what we can expect with a fourth phase of funding, um, but did want to mention that that while we know that that over 400 billion dollars was appropriated, um, it is really only being considered a replenishment at this point. So how does the CARES Act measure up? Well, uh, the best way to describe it is that it is big. It is the biggest ever. Um, currently, the CARES Act equals 10% of gross domestic product in the United States and it is twice the size of the largest bill ever created which was the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act which is President Obama's stimulus bill in 2009 um, which at that time was 5.7 percent of GDP. So this is massive and it has many lawmakers very concerned about the national debt but um, obviously bipartisan effort was made to come to this agreement and come to this relief package because they knew, Congress and the White House all knew that Americans and businesses had to have support. It is really important to note though, that this package, while huge and large and the largest ever, it is $100 billion short of a request from the US Conference of Mayors. At Retail Strategies, we primarily work with communities, municipalities, counties, and economic development agencies across the country Um, to help with their downtown revitalization and with recruitment of national retail to their commercial corridors. So this is very important to us. Um, Most of our community partners are seeing huge budget shortfalls and the CARES Act really does not have direct provisions to uh, mid to small size communities. And we'll get into that in greater detail in just a moment. Also, uh, before I go any further, I want to mention, as Jacqueline said, we will have a question and answer period at the end of this presentation. So on the control panel that you see on your screen, um, there is a field for questions. Feel free to type in your questions at any point during the presentation so you don't forget them, and we'll answer all of them at the end. So moving forward, um, while this is a huge bill, um, we did note that it is very short of what uh, many mayors and city leaders were hoping to receive. Um, And also, it's important to note that Moody's, the ratings agency, has warned that even with the magnitude of this bill, that outright debt defaults and liquidations are still very likely uh, for many businesses. And we are seeing that certainly today, especially smaller firms um, that have less than stellar credit ratings. They are just not able to come up with the cash to stay afloat. Um, and we'll get into the paycheck protection program and unfortunately, some of its failures um, a little later in the presentation. Also, what we are certainly not going to get into today are um, the policy elements of responding to this outbreak. So while this aid package has been critical and we will definitely see more coming, you know, we are looking at lawmakers to make policies to help guide Um, our response to this and how long social distancing will be maintained and how that will affect um, businesses and individuals really across the country. Also looking at the CARES Act, um, this is how it stacks up in terms of lawmakers' priorities. So you can see at the bottom of this graph that um, really when federal lawmakers were coming together to create this bill, that it's evident that their top three priorities were household payments to everyday Americans, small business loans, and corporate loans. And so that's really what we're going to focus the majority of our discussion today, and also that fourth layer of unemployment insurance. As we know that many, many people have lost their jobs, and states are really struggling with making those payments uh, to those unemployment claims. So while the CARES Act has numerous amounts of provisions today for our purposes, these are the four that we will largely be focused on. Again, as we go through these, feel free to drop your questions in that box and we will get to them at the end of the presentation. So the first is probably what, goodness, many of us that are tuned in today and many of our families, community members, stakeholders, nonprofit members have been concerned with, and that is you know, how will everyday Americans really make it through this uncertain period? Many of you have potentially already received um, your direct payment from the federal government, Um, but today we're going to break down a little bit about what that looks like, what um, each person is entitled to, if anything, and if they haven't received their payment, what they can do about that. So basically, to break this down, U.S. residents, individuals with a gross income, um, so that's gross income that you report to the government um, through your tax reporting, uh, gross income up to $75,000 per person, or for those that file married, $150,000 gross income per household who are not a dependent of another taxpayer and have a social security number. So all of those are very important um, qualifiers. Um, All of those qualifiers, if they are met, are eligible for a $1,200 per person rebate or $2,400 for a married couple. Um, If, for example, a married couple, only one person has a social security number, neither of those individuals are eligible for a rebate. And if one of those persons is a dependent of another taxpayer, so for example, um, if we're talking about an elderly individual who is listed on his or her daughter or son's taxes as a dependent, then that person would not be eligible. There is also a per child rebate of $500 for those children that are 16 years of age or younger. so those rebates will be provided as well unfortunately if you have a college student that's 17 18 19 years old that is still listed as a dependent on your taxes you are not eligible to receive that 500 dollars rebate for them so how do you go about receiving this well for most people you don't have to do anything many of you have probably already received this check um, the irs will use your most recent tax returns if you have already filed your 2019 returns they will use those however we are seeing with those individuals that already filed their 2019 tax returns if those 2019 returns are different um, than the 2018 returns in terms of status so for example if an individual was divorced over the course of that period and filed Ahead uh, head of household in 2019, but was married in 2018, There has, we have seen a delay with those payments. So lots of different factors. Um, but if you filed your taxes in 2018, and if you filed them in 2019, or even if you didn't, and your banking information was already on file with the IRS, then likely you've already received your rebate if you are eligible. If you think you're eligible and you haven't received Um, anything yet, then there is this website that the IRS has created um, where you can go on, you can enter your social security number, and it will tell you what the status is. Uh, For many people, it says status unknown or something like that, which basically means that either um, the IRS just hasn't gotten to your payment yet, or there could be a complex situation. As I mentioned in the divorce example previously, it just really means that they haven't gotten to yours yet. Or it could mean that you're just not eligible at all because of your income. But we are seeing those payments really start to unlock right now and begin to be made. So who doesn't qualify? Well, as we mentioned, individuals with an income over $99,000 or single parents with incomes above $136,000 do not qualify at all. Uh, we said that, you know, there basically is a sliding scale, that if you make over uh, $75,000 but less than $99,000, you will receive some variation of the payment, uh, but it will be less than the full $1,200 amount. So there is a sliding scale there. Also, as we mentioned, dependent children over 16 um, do not qualify for that $500 rebate. And unfortunately, dependent adults as in the example of an elderly parent, um, they do not receive a rebate as well, and nor will you if they are on your taxes and anyone without a social security number. So many, many of the questions that we've received at Retail Strategies are from our community partners, and that is what is available for cities and states? Well, not much, to be honest, is available for cities states are receiving a minimum of $1.25 billion, so there is a a total of $150 billion um, that has been set aside to provide direct assistance to states and certain localities to use only for expenditures incurred due to COVID-19. So there are several qualifiers um, that you'll see on the third bullet point of this slide that those funds in order to be used they have to have been necessary expenditures incurred to respond to COVID-19 were not accounted for in the state's or the locality's previous year's budget and were incurred between March 1st and December 30th of this year so basically what this means is that these funds are not meant to um, help cities and states recoup lost sales tax revenue. We know that many cities and many states uh, that a large percentage of their budget comes from um, sales tax revenue and that has declined significantly in many locations. So these funds cannot be used to uh, recoup those lost expense or those lost revenues and really fill the coffers. Now, which localities are eligible for this direct assistance? Um, Really, only those that have a population over 500,000. So, you know, for many, many communities, that means that they will not receive that. Now, the states that receive uh, this part of this $150 billion, it is all based on the state population. So, um, every state will receive a minimum of $1.25 billion, and then it will be scaled up based on population. Um, the states do have the opportunity and the ability to share those funding um, with other communities and cities and municipalities and counties within their state, but it is totally up to them. And most states have not provided any information as to how or if they will share um, that uh, $1.25 billion with their other communities within their state. So we're still looking uh, at the state to provide direction on how they will spend that money and how they will share it. Um, there has also been a $500 billion um, lending fund that was established through the CARES Act that is available to municipalities to mitigate these losses. So that is not free money, it's not grant money, but it does sort of open up the opportunity for them to borrow money. Um, And then these are some other provisions that have been um, provided through the CARES Act that can apply to cities and localities. Most of them are directly geared towards uh, the response to the coronavirus. So you can see also uh, $25 billion for transit infrastructure grants, and we'll get into that in just a moment, and $400 million for election security grants to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus in the midst of this 2020 federal election cycle. However, um, we have heard estimates from the federal government most recently that if this social distancing um, sticks throughout the election season in various cities and states that potentially there could be a need for $4 billion in federal aid to help make sure that our elections happen and that they happen fairly and safely. So definitely look for more money to be put in the fourth phase of funding um, for elections, and that is a major priority, of course, of the federal government. Also, there are provisions for local law enforcement, airports, homeless assistance, um, and there is $5 billion that was set aside for community development block grants. Many communities have um, have contacted us at Retail Strategies to say, hey, how can I get some of that? What are the specifics of that? And we have a, um, a specific guide document um, that the Congressional Research Service put together that we will send out to all of you along with a host of other resources. Um, after this presentation. So that's one that we have received a lot of questions on. In summary, the majority of the CDBG funds that are available are for health and human services. So they are to help with homelessness, to help with those residents that were displaced, to help with elderly folks in your communities. But again, we'll provide um, an additional resource that will go through um, how those funds can be applied for and what they are eligible for. Also of interest um, through the Department of Commerce, um, $1.5 billion has been set aside through the Economic Development Administration. Again, we've received a lot of questions on this. And what we understand is that this funding is primarily for the private sector. So uh, those manufacturing supply chains that have been sort of um, immobilized and other tourism-based businesses that um, have not been able to really exist in this age of social distancing. Also, you know, $1.5 billion is sounds like a lot of money, but of course when we look at the economic development needs across the entire nation, it is just simply not a lot of money. Um, but that is what that is geared towards primarily, and then there is uh, $50 million designated to small to medium-sized manufacturers as well. We mentioned transit. Um, For those communities that do have a transit system, um, there is $25 billion that has been available, and it will be apportioned um, by the same ratio as the FY 2020 appropriations. So if you are listening to this webinar and you um, work with a transit agency, or you live in a community that has a transit system, we're definitely recommending those individuals to contact the FTA uh, you've probably already heard from them um, but this is how the funding is broken down again it is largely um, to mitigate the operating expenses um, related to the response of the coronavirus so again these funds that we are seeing um, really are not meant to be a stimulus you know when the cares act was first passed uh, the discussion was about the stimulus bill, the stimulus bill. But what we're seeing is that this is really a relief bill, not a stimulus bill. It is really meant to help keep food on the table for families, keep businesses open for another eight weeks or so, um, but definitely not meant to stimulate the economy, which we know uh, will definitely be needed. Um, Mention the CDBG funds that are available. And lastly, if you live in a community that has a farmer's market, Or has kind of a food-to-table system, a farm-to-table system, with your farmers selling directly to restaurants. Uh, The Department of Agriculture has received 9.5 billion dollars that will specifically be allocated to farmers who engage in this type of activity. Um, So, if you live in a community that has a farmers market, would definitely encourage you uh, to contact your state's USDA rep and find out how that money will be provided to local farmers and see if you can really be a conduit um, to help connect those farmers with this available funding because that is certainly something that could really help to rejuvenate communities. Um, Also, we're already seeing as certain states and we know South Carolina is starting to open up, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, um, where I'm I'm currently from, um, we're starting to see these states open up and farmers markets, interestingly enough, are one of the first um, community-based events that we're seeing happen. And so um, we're seeing uh, that chambers of commerce and economic development agencies are trying to connect farmers with the local public for pickup. Um, Definitely social distancing is still in effect. And in most cases, uh, shoppers are required to wear a mask to enter the farmer's market area, but definitely something that we're seeing a lot of attention on um, and definitely a good opportunity for downtowns and other communities. Um, Lastly, the National Endowment for the Arts received $75 million that they will distribute directly to nonprofit art organizations across the country. Um, And we are already seeing that. The National Endowment for the Arts has already put out uh, specific information about how those funds will be made available. Um, They are funneling them through the state arts commissions. Which are then funneling them to the nonprofits within localities throughout the state. So, definitely check out the National Endowment for the Arts website. That information has been put out, and those um, procedures for uh, receiving those funds are in place. Now, we're going to get to the small business relief, and I will definitely say that through our partnership um, with other universities and other agencies where we have provided this information we are by and large receiving the majority of our questions on this small business relief Um, and rightly so small businesses really make up the fabric of our communities and they are certainly struggling so we're going to go through the ways that the cares act um, is providing aid to small businesses and then we're going to go through kind of how quickly those funds were utilized and or rather were allocated and we'll talk a little bit about the most recent act of congress um, that was signed by the president last friday that made available a new wave of funding really yesterday morning um, and and how that has started to roll out as well so the federal government is attempting to support small businesses through aid through a a variety of different ways. And we're really going to focus on both of these two opportunities today. First is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Assistance, the EIDL. We're going to talk a lot about the EIDL um, and what its purpose is and how those funds are available. Secondly, the CARES Act provides funding through the Paycheck Protection Program, um, which is a new program which authorized about $350 billion of federally guaranteed loans, many of which can be forgivable to small businesses. What we know is that all 350 billion of that has been allocated and a fresh batch of $320 billion has recently been appropriated, and we'll go through that in just a second. The forgiven funds of the loan program, um, specifically for the Paycheck Protection Program, can only be used for payroll expenses, such as employee salaries, paid sick or medical leave, insurance premiums, mortgage interest, rent, and utility payments, but there still are um, availability for other business expenses through the EIDL um, and through the Paycheck Protection Program. So let's jump into this. For the EIDL, um, really the purpose of this program is to provide working capital for businesses. Um, There is a grant available within the EIDL. Now, when the CARES Act was first um, signed and we had a chance to review the legislation, it does provide for up to a $10,000 emergency grant per business to be issued within three days of the application being received. The reality is that has not been the case. And what we're seeing is that um, the Small Business Association has had to shift a little bit um, and drill down into a specific eligibility for this $10,000 emergency grant. And so we'll get into that in just a second. But these EIDL loans, um, these are acquired through the Small Business Association. The Paycheck Protection Program, which we'll detail momentarily, is all acquired through a local lender. Um, so that's a big significant difference between these two programs. EIDL is strictly through the Small Business Association, and it provides working capital loans of up to $2 million per business with a 3.75 interest rate or a 27 Percent interest rate for nonprofits. Um, Now, these are the parameters have really been opened up quite a bit for these types of loans. Um, No personal guarantee is being required for loans smaller than two hundred thousand dollars, which is a relatively new provision for the SBA. And these are loans that are spread out over thirty years. Now. Going into the $10,000 emergency grant, again, this is through the Small Business Association, but what we're seeing is examples um, of individuals applying for the $10,000 emergency grant and then receiving a response from the SBA, you know, seven to 10 days later saying that only $1,000 per employee will be made available in terms of emergency grant money. So a big disappointment on that front for a lot of folks, but that's the most updated information that we are seeing. And again, that emergency grant money is to be used for maintaining payroll. It's basically just to help give businesses enough cash to keep people on the payrolls and to make their rent payments. So now shifting over to the Paycheck Protection Program. Again, this is a loan program that can be acquired by your local lenders with a significant portion that is eligible for um, being forgiven so who qualifies for a paycheck protection program loan well businesses with less than 500 employees qualify which doesn't really sound too small and we'll get into that in just a moment and independently owned franchises with less than 500 po- employees as well um, For the first time really ever, the government has started um, to provide uh, aid through the CARES Act for independent contractors and self-employed individuals, even gig workers, so those that are Uber drivers, um, those that have home-sharing businesses. So if they Airbnb or Verbo their home, they too are eligible for these types of loans. And 501c3 nonprofits are eligible as well. Uh, Going back to the EIDL, there are other nonprofits, uh, a more expanded list of nonprofits are eligible for the EIDL, but for the Paycheck Protection Program, it is only eligible um, or available to 501c3 nonprofits. Also, the business has to have been established by February 15th in order to be eligible. And here's a simple um, formula, which we'll show you a table of this on the next slide. But in order to determine how much you can borrow, it is essentially 2.5 times um, the business's average monthly payroll for the previous year, up
0: to $10 million. Um,
1: So let's look at a little bit more details about this Paycheck Protection Program that we've heard so much about. The loans are fully guaranteed by the federal government, as I mentioned company has to have less than 500 employees um, and the proceeds meaning the forgivable portion of the loan can only be used to cover payroll rent utilities and interest expense Uh, the covered period this is as I mentioned an eight week shot of relief basically Um, so the covered period is February 15th to June 30th And the forgivable portions of the loan are not taxable, which has been a a bit of good news for businesses. In order for businesses to apply for this loan um, at their local lender, now um, I will say that the Small Business Association has a tool on their website where you can enter your zip code and find out um, which local lenders are eligible to provide this type of funding so we definitely recommend doing that and we are also seeing that because banks are absolutely inundated with applications that they are prioritizing their current customers um, so we're definitely recommending that small businesses go to their bank that they have a relationship with and if they have a relationship with multiple banks we're definitely suggesting that they go to the smaller bank or if a business has not had any luck with their bank, to go to a local credit union. Um, We're seeing businesses have much more luck with community-based businesses rather than these mega businesses, mega banks rather, um, because they are just inundated. Uh, When you go, most of these applications are available through the banks or credit unions online. You'll have to provide three years of your financials a payroll list, rent expense, or your mortgage expense and interest, and utility bills. Very, very simple formula to calculate the Paycheck Protection Loan, your monthly payroll, plus these expenses, uh, times 2.5, and that is the loan amount that you're eligible for. Here's an example for a company with 20 employees, um, how they factored up their eligible Um, loan amount, you can see $162,000. Here are a couple of disclaimers. If there is an individual on the company's payroll that has an annual salary over $100,000, then that employee's payroll share is not eligible for the forgivable portion of the loan. Now, the business can still certainly receive a loan for that amount, but that portion will not be forgiven. Um, Also, any employee whose principal place of residence is outside of the United States is not eligible. So this is the government's effort to provide aid to American workers um, that are struggling and American businesses who qualify or rather who employ uh, Americans. Also, the government wants to be sure about there's no double dipping. So um, any qualified sick or family medical leave where credit has already been issued Under the Coronavirus Relief Act, if you remember that's one of the previous phases of funding that Congress has provided, Um, that fund or that amount cannot be forgiven or qualified under the Paycheck Protection Program. So pretty simple, just making sure that uh, businesses aren't double dipping. As is mentioned, if the business does not lay anyone off for four months, their loan will be forgiven. And that four month period is backdated Um, to, uh, I believe, March 16th, a bit of period earlier in March. Um, So again, you know, this is the government's effort to try to keep people employed and help businesses make payroll. Um, Certainly not a stimulus effort. And as we mentioned, lenders through the SBA 7A lending program are those that can provide these loans. If you go to the SBA's website, again, you can see that handy tool that will um, help you understand uh, who can provide these these funds within your locality. So let's talk a little bit about the current status of the Paycheck Protection Program. We know that the CARES Act appropriated $350 billion um, for small businesses for the Paycheck Protection Program. All of that money was claimed in 14 days. Uh, last Friday, as we've said uh, numerous times, uh, the president signed a new bill which added $320 billion uh, to replenish the paycheck protection program, and those funds became available at 9:30 a.m. Central Time yesterday morning. When that money became available, the nation's five largest banks already had more than a million applications which totaled over $100 billion ready to go um, that were backlogged from previous applications. So the point being, over a third of this money will basically be already claimed just by the nation's five largest banks before it even rolls out. So federal experts are predicting that this Most recent $320 billion will be claimed in fewer than 14 days, so even quicker than that first phase of small business aid. Also, many of you have probably read in the news that of the first phase of funding, big corporations secured nearly $600 million of the $350 billion total allotment. So there's been a tremendous amount of bad press. For some of those businesses. And so, as such, the Treasury has asked all publicly traded companies that received Paycheck Protection Program funding to return um, the funding that they secured. Um, Some examples of that uh, the the Steakhouse, which many of you are familiar with, Ruth's Christ, received $20 million. Shake Shack received $10 million. And one of the nation's largest hotelier, Monty Bennett, who has uh, about five national brands received fifty billion dollars, and so you might say, "How in the world did that happen?" I thought ten million dollars was the maximum. I thought there had to be five hundred employees or less. Well, many of these publicly traded companies um, have their their businesses spread out into multiple different subsidiaries, and so those individual subsidiaries applied and created these totals for the overall publicly traded company so Definitely not what Congress intended and just really a loophole, if you will. Also, what we saw is, unfortunately, some of the banks um, prioritized those big customers and those big applications. Many of the banks were saying, well, we just wanted to knock out those big ones first so that we could get them out of the way. But, of course, a lot of the publicity has been that they were trying to do favors for their biggest clients. So it's been a difficult uh, rollout, no doubt. Small businesses, those very small businesses and many of our communities have not received the funding that they need. And that's really the bottom line. The last. Uh, provision that we're gonna cover within the CARES Act is one that's also very important to communities and states throughout the country, and that is unemployment benefits. So the CARES Act created a temporary pandemic unemployment assistance program um, that provides payments to those traditionally not eligible for unemployment benefits. So the self-employed, independent contractors, gig workers, like we mentioned, and those with limited work history will now be and are now eligible for unemployment assistance when they never have been before. Um, additionally, the federal government is providing um, in excess of what the state typically provides each unemployment claim, uh, they're providing an additional six hundred dollars per week to each recipient for up to four months. Um, this has provided you know, some kind of questionable circumstances. Uh, For many of the small businesses that have applied for Paycheck Protection Program aid, many of their employees have said, you know, I really appreciate you trying to help keep me employed, but I can make more money on unemployment for a longer period of time than I can staying on your payroll. Um, So a lot of the businesses that have received Paycheck Protection Program early Paycheck Protection Program aid early on, are not able to keep those individuals on payroll. So what we are recommending, it's very important to note, is that those small businesses that haven't been able to keep their employees employed because of their own choosing, to go ahead and pay back that money to the federal government, because it will not be forgiven if those individuals came off of payroll. Um, So we certainly don't want small businesses stuck with loans. They're unable to pay back. Um, So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Also, these unemployment benefits um, will pay benefits through the end of the year, whereas the Paycheck Protection Program is simply providing about eight weeks of funding. Um, Also, provides funding to support short-time compensation programs. where employees, employers are reducing their um, employees' hours rather than laying them off. So states are now um, really having to grapple with a huge influx of new unemployment claims. Uh, Many states have a trust fund to pay these unemployment claims. Um, Some states, such as New York, um, Michigan, California, have depleted over half of their unemployment trust fund. So they're having to go to the federal government and borrow money uh, to refill that trust fund just to be able to make these claims. And we certainly anticipate that these unemployment claims will only increase as uh, the days go forward. Additionally, what this CARES Act unemployment program does um, is it eliminates a seven day waiting period um, for unemployment benefits for some, although because states are very backlogged, we are seeing that there is a delay um, in receiving these unemployment benefits. Uh, But lastly, this program gives the Secretary of Labor the ability um, to really speed up the process and reduce the paperwork that's required which is helpful. But again, we're seeing states just completely inundated and really uh, struggling with how they are going to be able to make these payments in a timely manner and um, how they will replenish their trust fund to make these payments as well. So what's next? Well, first of all, uh, we do want to focus on what all of you and all of us can do during this really trying time. Um, Cities economic development agencies, and property owners really need to start planning now for the recovery and the rebuild. And we're starting to see that with our network of municipal partners and clients. Um, for the first wave of this uncertain time, you know, really through the majority of March, cities and nonprofits and communities were just uh, trying to figure out how to stay afloat, how they could provide this information to their small businesses, um, what they needed to do in terms of policies for implementing curfews or other provisions that might require safety measures. But now that we're starting to see states make plans for opening back up, we are certainly recommending that cities, counties, and, and other localities make a plan for the recovery and the rebuild. And how do, how will they do that? Well, we really believe in downtowns, supporting downtown and small business development um, we partner with large national tenants throughout the country and we're hearing um, that some of them are going to be just closing up shops, some big box retailers that might have a tremendous amount of debt they're still carrying from the recession or that have antiquated business models are not going to be able to, to keep up and they are just going to be closing shop um, but We're also hearing from a lot of other businesses that are well capitalized, that this is an opportunity for them to get into markets that they were previously not able to get into. So for example, um, Chipotle is a brand that is still uh, pushing forward with their same plans to open the same number of new businesses um, in the Southeast that they planned to open prior to COVID. So it's definitely good news for communities and again, as there are going to be closures in markets, it is going to open up real estate that these these brands might not have been able to um, to acquire prior to this. So, while this is an extremely trying time for communities and businesses, um, you know we do recognize that sometimes opportunities are born out of prices and that the national retail um, landscape is definitely going to look different, but uh, that there will be new opportunities. But for downtowns, that's really the place that we think that communities are going to want to come together. We haven't seen our neighbors. We haven't been able to socialize with our friends and community members uh, because of this period of social distancing and isolation. So, investing in placemaking and the built environment within downtown is definitely something that we're seeing, um, and that we're recommending to our clients and our partners. And also I, I think this is a, sort of an obvious, but something definitely that we should recognize and, and, and note is that commun- com- consumers, um, will shift their habits and patterns, but they're still going to require access to goods and services. And we are certainly seeing that uh, many of us are, doing a tremendous amount of our business online we're ordering groceries online and going to pick them up or having them delivered um, if that's available we're ordering a lot off of amazon and so um, we still need the things that we need on a daily basis but we're looking to the internet um, as a safe space to order those goods and so for small businesses Um, that maybe didn't have an online presence prior to COVID-19, now is the time to develop a robust digital presence. Um, You know, in many Southern states, uh, we saw from a study that Main Street America put out that over 65% of most small businesses um, within our area did not have a digital presence at all prior to COVID-19. And so... um, certainly those businesses are struggling mightily right now. And so um, if you are a director of a nonprofit or a community leader, now is really the time to be connector for these small businesses and other eligible funding, as well as encourage and help them to develop an online presence. And lastly, we all need to be monitoring Congress as we know that further aid will be forthcoming. And what is that going to look like? Well. Actually, we just received a, a news alert uh, moments ago that the House of Representatives is not going to be convening in Washington as they originally had hoped uh, because the congressional physicians uh, recommended that it was not safe enough. And so um, we are going to be looking to the news outlet to let us know how Congress is going to be doing their business because in person is not going to be possible right now. Um, We also know, though, that negotiations have already started and that uh, members of Congress are very contested on what will be included in a fourth phase. Some are saying that they don't even know if there should be a fourth phase of funding. But overwhelmingly, we do believe that Congress and the White House will come together for a fourth phase of funding. Right now, Republicans are very concerned with the amount of national debt being incurred um, and Democrats feel the pressure to deliver aid to municipalities and states that are hurting such as New York. Um, Infrastructure, elections, municipal aid um, and other direct aid to Americans and those that are in poverty are all provisions that have been discussed and all those that will be negotiated in in the very near future, we believe. But broadly speaking, we know that the CARES Act is a relief package, it's not a stimulus package and we know that much more is going to be needed. So that was a lot of information and really appreciate um, all of you sticking with us as we went through that information. Um, as we let you know, um, that we will all a recording this webinar and uh, the presentation will be emailed to you uh, about 24 hours later along with additional resources, but now uh, we do have a couple questions that we're going to go through, and if you have questions and you're still tuned in, please feel free to input them in the box and we will get to them. Um, So our first question is, will expenses paid by the Paycheck Protection Program, like payroll, rent, and utilities, be deductible? Um, what we're seeing is that there are no, there are a variety of of tax provisions for companies um that will allow new deductions or allow other elements to reduce the tax burden um so these these typical expenses that you you normally have will remain deductible um However, the government is just providing a grant to cover those expenses. So there won't be any tightening up of tax ramifications um, of the Paycheck Protection Program funds and remember those funds are not taxable. So that is simply a grant. It is free money for the businesses to use for those specific elements and taxes will not be tightened up. In fact, they will be loosened up. The next question is, um, in your opinion, what is the likelihood of Paycheck Protection Program opening up for 501c6s in future legislation? To be honest, I do not see that happening. Um, I, I don't I have a crystal ball, so I very well could be wrong, but I really believe that um, for any additional funding that the Paycheck Protection Program receives, that it is going to be tightened up even more. Um, I think it will stay available to 501c3s and small businesses, but I think we're going to see even tighter uh, restrictions to make sure that the very small businesses that need it most receive it. Um, however, 501c6s are available um, or rather eligible for the EIGL program, um, which is a loan program, as we mentioned. is not a forgivable loan It is It is money that does have to be paid back, but that certainly is something to um, consider. And the last question that we have is, is there anything available for people who are employed by a company as a true employee but are paid on a commission basis? Um, And unfortunately, no. um, I'm actually in that vote as well. So a lot of um, consultants and those that are, that work for private companies, um, and probably many of you as well, um, are an employee. You're not a 1099. You're a salaried employee, but a large percentage of your income is commissioned. And unfortunately, there are no provisions in the CARES Act or any federal provisions at this point for those types of employees. Really, the only thing that we're seeing are those direct payments made um, through the rebate system, if you will. So if you do qualify, if your income is below $99,000, that's $1,200 rebate payment. Um, But other than that, that's really it. And so we do know that a lot of Americans are struggling. Their income looks a lot different. Many have been furloughed. Many have been put on um, reduced hours. So if, as we mentioned, you were put on reduced hours or were furloughed, um, unemployment is eligible, um, is available for you, um, but just uh, in terms of recouping lost commission, unfortunately, um, I'm not aware of any provision for that. Um, so I think that gets us through all of our questions. I am going to kick it back over to Jacqueline. Uh, To wrap us up, I really appreciate all of you taking the time to tune into this webinar. And like we mentioned, we will be reaching out to you all individually with uh, this slide deck, the recording, and a host of other resources. Um, And if there's ever anything that we can do for you specifically, I hope you'll reach out to us. You can see on this slide, our website is retailstrategies.com. Our company's out of Birmingham, but I head up our Mississippi office, and you can find me at Gregory at retailstrategies.com. So Jacqueline, thank you
0: so much for partnering with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And I'll turn it Thanks back you, to you to wrap us up. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jen, for your expertise and thank you to all of our participants. I wanna also um, recognize my partners in the Edwards College of Humanities and Fine Arts at Coastal Carolina, um, our dear friend, Eddie Dyer, um, for his support of this webinar as well. And I wanna also um, appreciate everyone helping to spread the word. And most importantly, the Dyer Institute looks forward to collaborating with our community partners and connecting our students to experiential learning opportunities um, throughout the Grand Strand as we sort of unpack the CARES Act and any other future aid that can be made available to our community. Um, So again, I hope you found this presentation helpful and we'll be in touch in the coming days with the slide deck and recording. So and please just keep in mind the Dyer Institute is here to help um, help you during this time. So thank you all for your attention and once again thank you, Jen, for your expertise.